actual Guardians excitement at the winter meetings? A guy could get used to this. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two against the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. The real question, Zach, is that potential excitement, and I'll use it the way that you phrase it, actually going to culminate in real excitement, something to get really excited about. That's what we're here to discuss today. It's the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ. That is Zach. And of course, Zach is not in his little cozy office. He's on location. Where is he? Zach, where are you? You're looking out over Petco Park. It's an amazing view. There's a... I don't know what it is. It looks like a giant white orb with like a yellow party hat hanging off the top of the foul pole, the right field foul pole at Petco Park. A beautiful view of one of the most beautiful ballparks in the league, um, San Diego, winter meetings. And, you know, it's an interesting question you pose. Like, everybody wants to know when move X is going to happen. And when the winter meetings come, the whole point of them is to spur that action, right? But the most difficult part of this job, and I think in us trying to talk about, you know, what what might happen or and when it might happen, is teams don't even know where they stand. They don't know exactly how close they are at any given moment, um, because you hear all the time, you know, the team, man, we thought we had this, and then it turned out some other team swooped in or. You know, you hear reports about something's close, but what does close mean, right? Close only means that there's still time for someone else to trump your offer. So it's it's easy at the beginning of the offseason to make predictions and say, I think this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. The most difficult thing is to say when it will happen. Yeah, because even the people involved, they just don't know. How can you know? And it's never done until it's over the finish line. We've heard that thousands of times. Antonetti has teased us, you know, we've sat at winter meetings for years and heard all of the stories of things that almost got done that he won't quite reveal to us, that I don't know whether or not I should believe, (laughs) but until these things are actually sent to the league office, or in the case of a free agent, the, the ink is on the contract, you just don't know. And the other thing you don't know is there are so many different rumors and reports that are getting sent out, and we try to on this show, educate everyone that listens to understand that they have to know where those things are coming from, why they're out there. I thought we just had that play out in real time over the past few days with the Sean Murphy sweepstakes, which the Guardians are clearly in the center of and have been linked to by numerous reporters. We also saw, in addition to many other teams that have been linked to Murphy, the Atlanta Braves get involved, and yet they have a roster full of catchers. And so when you put that to your own personal smell test, that doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense or smell quite right. But there's there's rumors of 
Maybe they're going to move one of their internal catchers and they're going to listen to maybe move them for a middle infielder of some sort. And I, and I even texted you, help me walk through this. Help me understand why this is out there and what this really means. And then I think yesterday there was some more word that the Braves really aren't involved. And pretty much everyone said, yeah, that, that feels about right. That's what we would have thought initially to begin with. It's fun to try to you know, pull this apart and, and figure out what the truth is. But it's also like a little bit of detective work that you have to work through to understand what's the motive here? Why is it out there? And what does it truly mean? And what does the team gain by putting this out there? All of these are fascinating storylines. And I think the catching position makes it a little, maybe a little simpler to solve because everybody could always use pitching, right? So if you see pitcher X is being courted by three or four teams, well, it's possible that 10 other teams are interested because everybody needs pitching all the time. Or if there's an outfielder available, you start three of them every day and it's good to have depth and you have DH. So who knows? Like there could be a ton of teams interested in that, in that player. So, you know, same thing with like a first base DH type. Well, there's a DH in the national league now. So, you know, there's no shortage of opportunities there, but with catcher, you either play catcher or you don't. And so there are a finite number of teams who need a catcher. And I think that makes it a little bit clearer just who might be interested, who's not. It's easier for teams to maybe shoot down, oh, no, we're not we're not after a catcher. We're set with the guys we have. Um, and in Cleveland's case, it's, it's evident, it's obvious. And, you know, they have – they're kind of put in a weird spot because you know, Chris Antonetti is – never going to outwardly say we want to add this because we don't believe in what we have at that position. Right. And he's never going to say we're looking to trade Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, Shane Bieber, whoever. But I think by the same token, they don't want to just keep all the responsibility and pressure on Bo Naylor when they're, I don't think they're sure that they, that he's going to be the opening day starting catcher. So when that happens, I think I, I think it's it's tricky and, and it kinda it's the one chance you have, and it, it's because the catcher position is is unlike those other ones for the reasons I just explained, where we know the Guardians want a catcher. And we know that they want a catcher who can hit, and that Austin Hedges, I think at this point, is just like a yeah, you, you you hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna let me see if I have anything else going on, and I'll get back to you. Uh, I think that's that situation, and because of that, you know there are all, there are a bunch of teams who need catching, but you know there are some teams that don't have the farm system Cleveland has, and have the cash that Cleveland doesn't typically have, um, or isn't willing to spend, and so they're linked to Wilson Contreras. And the fallback option there is probably Christian Vasquez. There are some other guys, too. If maybe you don't need a, a catcher who's going to catch 120 games, you know, Mike Zanino's out there. There's some others. So it's just easier to solve this riddle. It's when you get to, like, a Brian Reynolds or, you know, any free agent 
starting pitcher or anything like that. And Cleveland might not be involved in some of these topics I'm mentioning. You know, I don't know that they're going to go after Chris Bassett or Jamison Tyone, but like, you know, you just see how things can get so convoluted and then everybody descends upon San Diego this week to, to spark up the rumors and, and to, to just talk more about every single scenario. And that's when it gets more confusing and you really have to, to have a strong detective background to figure everything out. Yeah, because there are team. Everyone wants leverage at this point. Trade negotiations, free agency, everyone is seeking some sort of leverage. Right now, early in the offseason, the leverage for teams is there are a lot of catchers, as you just laid out, available. Oakland might say, Murphy's the best one, so come get the best one. Okay, but if the price isn't right, and you do, still, if you agree that Murphy is the best one, but maybe you've got somebody else slightly down, but you're going to pay significantly less in either trade or money. Okay, sorry, Oakland, I'll, I'll, I'll go this other direction, and that's the whatever leverage I might hold in this discussion. That's why the Braves thing was fascinating to me, because I was trying to figure out, were the, the Braves trying to gain leverage over Oakland? Were they trying to gain leverage over a team like Cleveland that has the middle infielders that perhaps they would want? Were they trying to drive the price of Murphy up so that other teams would come to Atlanta to get one of their catchers? Were they trying to drive the price of Murphy down by saturating the market with more catching options so that they can trade for Murphy? I thought that was fascinating. And I was trying to work it out in real time. You were no help. You provided no help in this situation. Maybe you've thought about it for a few days and you can help me out now. But I, I, that's what I was fascinated by because there are so many options and a team like Atlanta I didn't even consider. And now they're throwing their hat into the ring, perhaps, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone has an agenda. That's certainly true. Um, it's a little weird with, you know, like with it's easy with free agency because the the agents of the players play such a prominent role in that because their one goal is to get the player as much money as possible. So, you know, it's that's when you see teams floated out there, like that's specifically, it's just to spark up a bidding war. With trades, it's a little more convoluted, I think, because, you know, it's not like, like if you're, Let's the teams interested in Murphy are probably the Guardians, the Cardinals, the Red Sox. Tampa's just always there lurking. Um, there could be others. But like, why would it behoove the Cardinals to leak anything about this, right? In this scenario, like it doesn't make sense. The teams that are pursuing him, I don't think, would want anything out there. Um if you're Oakland. Your sole purpose is to try to get as much as you can because everybody in the universe knows you're going to trade the guy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's especially interesting when you think about Cleveland's front office and their reputation across the league as being very stingy and setting a price that they will pay and not budging off that price, even if it means they're not going to wind up getting what they're after. So if you think about these teams talked plenty over the summer, couldn't strike an agreement. And wouldn't it make sense if Cleveland's just like, hey, we told you five months ago what we would give up. That's still the price. Like, nothing has changed. In fact, Murphy's got a less control than he did over the summer, so maybe it even came down a little bit. Um, 
and then you see one leak after another about other teams being interested, and maybe it starts to make a little more sense. Yeah, that's what I, I find fun about the offseason. During the season, we, we talk about it all the time that there are times where waiting to the offseason makes more sense to trade a guy because it, it presents more suitors. In this case, with the catcher position, there are more guys available now than there were last year at the deadline. Mm-hmm. So it may be true that more teams are getting into the mix for Murphy now than the, the Cardinals didn't want Murphy at the trade deadline, right? They do now. But there are more options. Toronto's looking to trade one of their catchers. I don't know that they were looking to do that in the middle of the season. There are free agents now. Vasquez was a trade during the, the season. Now he's a free agent. You can just have him. So this situation in particular is, is one I find absolutely fascinating. This is because catcher is so different. And there are, we've talked about there are different evaluations that go into that position than any other spot on the diamond. First base, it doesn't matter how, how the guy fields the ball and takes it to the bag. It doesn't matter. Communication between first and second, none of that matters. He goes and plays his position. Can he hit? You put him out there, great catcher there are other things involved you have to believe that they can handle the pitching staff clearly not something they worry about with Murphy yeah he ticks all the boxes for them it seems like the perfect fit from what they value in that position the fact that he is an above average player that he has the 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 uh the ability to hold him for many years here before he hits free agency and so every team that gets thrown out there they're going to say similar things but for Cleveland, specifically what they want out of that position, I still believe he's heads and tails above every other option that they can pursue. We can talk about whether or not Kirk would be a better player as far as offensively alone. Maybe you trust that he can still be good behind the plate. But I don't. for Cleveland, I don't think any of these other catchers are on Murphy's level. And on top of all of that, you still have a young Bo Naylor that you don't want to completely push to the side if you believe in him. And from what you've said for the, the past several weeks, and, and more than that, really months, they really do like this kid. But it's just a lot to thrust on a young catcher. But that's part of it, too. You, you're not going to sell the farm for a catcher knowing that you also have another catcher that you really like. It's just a matter of how do you handle that position for the next year, year and a half, with a guy that is very young and there's going to be some growing pains there at that position. So I was a double major in college and Oh my God. Congratulations, I, dude. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> uh, thanks for hold that on. information. The point is everyone praised the smart guy on the podcast. No, I completely <laughs> faked my way to an economics degree. And there is only one thing I learned through all those economics courses that I had no idea what was going on. And, just totally fraudulent diploma. Um, But the one thing I learned was opportunity cost. And that every decision you make comes in place of other decisions you could have made. And I think that's a big part of the thinking here from Cleveland's standpoint is what is the drop-off from Murphy to your next best solution at catcher? Part of that equation is what you believe Bo Naylor can do, as you just referenced. And I was 
I haven't written this yet. I'll write it this week, but I was doing some research on this on my flight out here. And do you know 30 catchers appeared, 30 rookie catchers appeared in the game in 2022. Do you know how many had more than 300 plate appearances? Out of how many? 30. 30 rookie catchers. Had more than three. Um, 300 plate appearances. Two. Correct. <laughs> Whoa. Now I'm the smart guy. How about that? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You could have an economics degree from Ohio State. But so the point is, of those two, MJ Melendez is one, and he played a lot of right field and DH because they have Salvador Perez. So it's really, Ali Rutschman is really the only rookie who came up and was like the bulk starting catcher was in there most days. It's tough. And Bo Naylor is a top 100 prospect. You know, it's it's not like it's impossible, but it's just you're a contending team and you're trying to take the next step and be on the Astros level. And that's a huge risk to just assume that a rookie catcher who had a fantastic 2022 season, but you can't just ignore the fact that he had the opposite 2021 season. And so, yes, you hope that the gains made in walk rate, strikeout rate, you know, that speed will play. He's made defensive strides. He's better communicator who has taught himself Spanish. Like, there are great attributes there. But there is a learning curve. Like, there are going to be growing pains. So it makes sense why they want a catcher. Back to the opportunity cost question is, do you believe you can, those traits will carry him enough to where pairing him with, like, Zanino or some free agent catcher who's maybe your third or fourth option can get you by because that's still a big upgrade over Hedges and Maley? Or, like, is this the best use of your top prospects? Is this the one big swing that you're going to take on the trade market? Whereas, you know, what's the opportunity cost if you sign a free agent catcher who you think can give you, like, an 85 WRC plus and just split the games with Naylor, maybe platoon with him, and then you go make a trade for a different bat. Like there are, we talked about how everything is sort of intertwined, but that's because every decision you make, there's a ripple effect because there are going to be decisions that are made for you based on what you execute. We've, we've talked about Murphy for so long that everyone sort of has an idea of what he might cost. But as this continues to to unfold, my, my curiosity is for those like myself that want Murphy, that think he should be the top target of anybody in this offseason, what are you comfortable with parting with? That's difficult. T- to me, I still am really hesitant to want to trade one of their three top pitching prospects. As volatile as pitching prospects can be, it's not something I'm entirely comfortable with by B. Espino Williams. I'm not sure I want to trade one of those guys. And I'm not sure I want to trade Valera either. I want to protect myself there in the outfield. What if Oscar Gonzalez is not the guy that he was this past year? What if he's a little bit below average? What if he's worse than that? 
Might be a scenario where he's better, but I want to protect myself, and I really like Valera. I, I find it so difficult, Zach, to find a trade that Oakland is going to agree to that I am also going to feel comfortable with. How do you That's how do you get away? It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. But how do you get away with trading for for Murphy, knowing all of the interest that's there, and not trade one of those four I just mentioned? Is there a scenario where that exists? I'm super skeptical. So that's the that's the one thing that keeps me from like screaming. Why hasn't this happened yet? Knowing that I'm sure at least one of those four guys, if not multiple of them, are are, are who Oakland is going to want to trade like this. It's all risk assessment, and that's why. I mean, I'm sure they have analysts who are saying, what is the what are the likely outcomes for Bo Naylor in a rookie season if he plays 80 games, if he plays 100 games, if he plays 130 games? And would they be better off? You know, they catcher's not their only need. They can go get Murphy. They still need another bat of some sort, a right-handed stick. So what's the best pairing? Is it Murphy and Mancini? Is it, you know, we talked about Murphy and Bell last week. I don't know how realistic that is because it's impossible to know that right now. But what are, you know, part of this too is the timing. And that's why the winter meetings sort of make everything chaotic is because you might tell yourself, okay, let's do everything we can to get Murphy and Bell. But as you're negotiating for Murphy, Bell signs. And then that changes your thinking. And it's like, well, we better go get Murphy so we don't end up with Zanino and Drury or something like that, right? It's 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 really difficult. And I've said it a billion times on this podcast, I would do anything to just sit and observe like the next three days in their suite. Oh, yeah. Um, because they there only are a million let us- scenarios at play. They only let us in there afterwards, and it's like a, a, a bomb of food and snacks and just randomness went off inside the suite. I want to see it when when it's when things are actually happening, not only what is being said, but what does it look like in there? What would, what would I want to have? Is there a can of Red Bull? Is it just coffee? How do you power through that? How do you stay prepared and be able to discuss all the names? Now, the one thing that is worth pointing out here, and I'm not saying that you were saying this. Teams take a whole pack of people with them. And so there are people having discussions. It's not just Antonetti sitting down with one person and then he's got another meeting and nothing's happening when Antonetti is meeting with those people. But there are a lot of moving parts. And not only in the free agency, as you were just laying out, but also imagine, let's say you're having these discussions about Murphy. You're also having discussions about Reynolds. You better believe there's some crossover in who those teams are asking for. Mm-hmm. You're ranking who would you rather have in some regard, Murphy or Reynolds, because the players involved you can't trade them twice as much as you would probably like to. You can't do that. Let's say you're having this conversation and Pittsburgh needs an answer right now because they're, 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 they got the deal done. And they need a final answer from you if you can top your offer. And then you're sitting there with Oakland. And, oh, I can't. They're not ready. They're not in that position yet. Let's say you pass on one, and then the other one doesn't happen, and you end up with neither of your top targets. 
that's the frustration here, I'm sure, of, of being part of uh, a moment like this. Because these discussions are happening, yes, but there is some elevated urgency when everyone's face-to-face. At least that's the goal here. Yeah, and so that's why a team like Oakland, I think, is just saying, let's go. Let's get the show on the road. Like, we we got to get the best offer. Because I don't think, you know, if you're if you're Oakland, you have Sean Murphy, and everyone knows you're trying to trade him. I don't think you're going to get the best offer for him in mid-February, right? It's You want to be that team that strikes first because the other teams have other things on their to-do list. Like Oakland, I don't think they're, I don't, they're not worried about free agency. They don't have a ton of other guys who are going to net them big returns. So they're trying to move their big fish. And they're trying to do it while other teams feel pressured and haven't made their big moves yet. It's fascinating. I mean, I we're explaining all of this. We only know probably the tip of the iceberg. So yeah. I know about one percent of it, and maybe you know three percent. Like that, that's how I feel. You have to you have to rank these in some regard. You can put as much into a a model as you want that tells you you shouldn't go above this threshold in prospect value and player value that you're giving back. But there's still some degree of conversation, people, uh, uh, almost like a poker game here, where you have to be able to drift off of that a little bit because there are certain things that that maybe push it over the finish line more than just what an algorithm would suggest. And what I mean is, uh, kind of in the situation of Murphy and Reynolds, let's say you say to yourself, you have to come away in this offseason with one of those two. That's the goal. That So I'm I'm far down the, the line on a, a discussion with Pittsburgh, and I'm far down the line in a discussion with Oakland, but maybe I'm a little bit closer with Pittsburgh. Maybe I'm even to a point where they say, you agree to this, we're done. So you could have the known commodity of the trade that's in your hand. You can execute that today, right this very second, send that to the league office. But maybe there's still some uncertainty with Oakland. They're waiting on a fi- couple final offers Maybe you like Murphy just a little bit more, but Pittsburgh is saying, hey, if you don't give us an answer now, we're moving on with this trade over here. So you have to maybe go off of your model a little a little bit and go with a more known commodity, a known trade that you have in your hand for a guy that maybe is slightly below what you want this offseason. Or maybe you don't do that, and maybe you stick to the model. But that's part of this equation here that I think is is fascinating. It's not just about an algorithm. It is also a people, it's a timing, it's a poker game that just gets elevated this time of year. And every front office plays it differently, right? I mean, we've talked about Cleveland's reputation, but that doesn't mean everyone's like that. You know, there might be another front office who would be in Cleveland's position and would feel that pressure and that desperation and just say, fine, take a Spino, just give us Murphy, and deals get done that way. So a lot of it is relationship building too and past history. And, you know, you get teams like Cleveland and think think about the Jose Ramirez stuff back in the spring, right? The two teams that were really in on him were Toronto and San Diego, which should be no surprise because Toronto 
it's Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. Like they, they're from Cleveland. And San Diego, they've dealt with the Padres like every year. So they know the systems very well. Um, there's not as much catching up to do there. So that plays a part in this. You know, a lot of times when you see three-team trades, like there are familiar faces in there. It seems like Cincinnati's been a part of those with Cleveland, San Diego. Um, that's all part of it. You know, it's it's you know, or maybe you think you know how the GM you're dealing with thinks and what their preferences are and how they like to work. And you know, I I don't think you're like pulling one over on anyone at this point just because there's so much information out there and these these guys all know each other really well but yeah the whole process of negotiations and you know trying to understand why trades can take so long i remember the the trevor bauer trade 2019 they were in texas in june and thought they were on like the one yard line trading them then and i don't i don't remember i don't think it was i think it was just a two-team trade and then it looks completely different when he's finally traded like six weeks later so stuff takes time you know we talk about it here every week we talk about it when we're not recording but we probably only talk about this stuff and think about this stuff a fraction of the amount that those in front offices do. So they're probably a little further along in like the thinking and what needs to get done and what they're comfortable with and, and all of that. Well, let's put this to the test. Let's play out that scenario. I'll, I'll pose it to you this way. Murphy and Reynolds, and I know Pittsburgh has played this game. It gets put out there publicly that he's requesting a trade, and they go, whoa, 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 hey, we're never, we don't know if we're going to trade. Okay, shut the hell up. <laughs> we, we know what's happening here. Let's say it's similar. Murphy, Reynolds, whether or not there's some different names in there, but just the overall level of value is the same in, in your offers. First of all, who would you rather have? You gonna make me say it? Yes, yes. Personally, who would you rather have? It depends. Shut up, dude. <laughs> I think. I think Reynolds. Wow. Okay. Because. Let me preface it. If I, I think Reynolds because. You have to believe in Naylor. And you can still pair him with someone, you know, one of the Blue Jays catchers. This is why it depends, because it depends, like, what I have to give up for a non-Murphy. You know, do I still have enough ammo left over to trade for Jansen or someone like that and feel comfortable with my farm system? I don't know. Is Vasquez... Okay, let's say the best the best you can get is Vasquez. That's your alternative. So it's like Vasquez plus Reynolds or call call up Hedges, who is sitting by his bedside at one a.m. waiting for the you up text. (laughs) Shirtless, of course. The thing with Reynolds is that if Gonzalez like DH is open, right? 
So Reynolds could play corner outfield. He could DH. Could, it takes a little pressure off Gonzalez. And if Gonzalez flounders, you've got him there and you don't have to, you know, maybe you're trading Valera for Reynolds. I don't know. It's probably close for me. I think I think Reynolds just... The thing with Murphy, and I've been a proponent of this trade and still think it makes a ton of sense and he should be their top target. I do wonder what you do with him next year. You know, I, I understand wanting to ease Bo Naylor in, but just in terms of like asset allocation, could trade. they... Do, Trade. They get in... trade, trade, yeah, trade, but then why, trade, why... trade. <laughs> I don't know. You don't have to, but you're you're playing out the scenario where you like Naylor. Great, that's fantastic. Now I can turn around and trade Murphy again if I want to, or yeah. I could I could trade Naylor. <laughs> I I could entice somebody to trade for a guy with even more control and younger. If you want to. It's just you have the option. Or if Naylor flounders, you still have Murphy. I just I think you have a an, an option there. But in this scenario, let's say that's a, that's where you're at. You want Reynolds more than you want Murphy. Oakland has said we're ready to do this trade now. You prefer Reynolds. Pittsburgh has said we still want to do this other st- we want we want to do our due diligence we st- we're not there yet and Oakland says I need an answer now because if we're not doing this I have to move before this other team trades for this other guy or signs this catcher or does whatever they want to do what do you do I probably trade for Murphy because I think Reynolds is going to have more suitors um you know if the Yankees don't get Aaron Judge they're probably going to panic and sign 12 guys and trade for 12 more um. Yeah, and I just again I go back to like I know, I know there are a lot of teams that need catching help, but I know there are a finite number of teams who could even trade for Murphy, who it would make sense to. And Reynolds being an outfielder, I gotta does does uh, is there any team that is like no we have three legitimate really good starting outfielders and our DH spot is filled like I. I don't know how many teams have that. So, like, any team could be after Reynolds. So I'd probably go with Murphy because I feel like if if it's close in my evaluation of the two players, Ty goes to the option that is right there in front of me. Right. And, and I'm, I think I'm with you there, too. If you believe you need to come away with one of those two. Or, you know, sub in, if it's not Reynolds, sub in whoever that second player is that maybe you think is similar to Murphy. I I want to I want to focus on the deal that I know is there if I think they're similar. But it's it's fascinating. It's what goes into this. It's why it's not just a simple number algorithm computer program here. There's there's things that change this because of the timing and and the relationships that you were talking about. Reynolds is fascinating. At this time last year, his trade value would have been through the roof, and it's still extremely high. But he was coming off of a season where the defensive metrics didn't hate him as much as they did this year. Outs above average, he was fantastic last year. So you thought he was a center fielder for you. And he was coming off a season where he had a 141 WRC+. 
He was still good this year, played through some injury, I think an oblique injury perhaps, but he still put up a 125 WRC+. plus. He was a three-win player, according to Fangrass, with the defensive struggles that the metrics said he had. Maybe that you, you, you think he's better off in a corner than he is in center field coming off of the 2022 season. But just in terms of projections, I might not know exactly where he fits, whether it's right field, whether it's playing some in center, whether it's taking some at DH at-bats. But according to the projections, a 125 WRC plus and a four-win player, according to Steamer right now. If you can guarantee me I'm trading for a four-win player that's going to give me a 125 WRC plus to add to this offense, I will find a way to make it work. <laughs> and that's that's why he's enticing. Maybe he's even better here. Maybe you think you can position him better with more, with better data, with a better system in place than Pittsburgh had. So you can get more out of him defensively. Or you think he's better in a corner. I think the arm is fine there for a corner. So it might not be a perfect fit because he makes the most sense as a center fielder. And I'm not sure coming off of this season whether or not he sticks there. Four-win player, 25% above average. I'll find a way to make it work if he truly is available. Yeah, You're just trying to solve as many questions as you can, I think. And look. Bo Naylor could be really good, but catcher is a question mark. And that DH part of the time first base, depending on Josh Naylor against lefties, that's just vacant. I think center field is a question mark. So, yeah, adding Reynolds eliminates a question mark. Adding Murphy eliminates a question mark, but... No, I mean, it it does. I, I just... It's a spot where, like, you know for a fact you don't have a ninth hitter in the lineup right now, right? You know, maybe it's Will Brennan DHing or Richie Palacios or something, but adding Reynolds solves that. Adding Murphy solves catcher, but doesn't really fix DH. And maybe Naylor solves catcher. So it's just, it's, it gives you a clear answer. Whereas other moves do that, but maybe not at the most, maybe not at the position in which you're feeling most desperate to sure. add. Does it factor in at all? Because it does for me. First base DH, you should be able to get somebody there that's not going to cost you a lot, whether it's Mancini, yeah. whether it's JD Martinez, somebody, you're going to be able to get a ninth hitter without paying, without breaking the bank for that guy, even if it's not a Josh Bell. So that alleviates some of what you're talking about here. If it's if it's Murphy and Mancini or Murphy and Martinez, the M&Ms, then does that, does that impact your choice there? I just, I, I think it's, what makes this difficult is like you can have all the planning in the world, you can do all the statistical analysis and projecting you want, but like, there isn't a human being who knows for fact like what Oscar Gonzalez is going to be. There's not a human being in the world who knows if Oscar Gonzalez falters, can George Valera step in and deliver in 2023? Nobody knows. So you're trying to alleviate some of that uncertainty. And it's why they need to make multiple moves, I think. And they're not like 
you know, this isn't like the past where it was just like this lineup was is crappy and they just have no threats in the middle of the order and it's like give us the right-handed power bat and you're hoping they add like Albert Bellamy's prime. Like this isn't that. You just need a couple of pieces who as we always say on this podcast, turn Fs into Cs or in this case, you know, Murphy would be like an F into a B plus and Mancini or Bell could help take I mean there's literally just like no one to DH right now cuz like Will Brennan at DH just seems like a waste. He could be a good hitter, but like why you'd put him in the outfield maybe and Oscar Gonzalez, I, I don't know. You just there's room to add a hitter. Um so it's it's it goes back to like the opportunity cost thing again because you know, you you, you probably I, I don't think they're going to trade for both Murphy and Reynolds. I mean, who knows? They tried to trade for Lucroy and Miller on the same day 6 years ago and that would have cost them a boatload of prospects and like most of those prospects flopped anyway. But it's really tough to do in the offseason to like acquire the top two trade assets out there. Um, so, you know, and they keep saying they have money to spend. So you think they're going to trade for someone and they're going to sign someone. It's just what is the best pairing and what is what's a realistic pairing? Because, again, it's, it's about the timeline, too. You know, there might be a player out there who wants to sign in the next couple of days. And. Are you in position to do that if you don't know if you're trading for Murphy yet or if you don't know if you want to yeah. run? I mean, it's it's a mess. It's chaos. Chaos. I love it. It's a couple days removed now, but what were your uh, initial initial reactions to DeGrom getting that contract from the Rangers of all teams? It's going to be tough to picture that until I actually see it. Yeah, I, I like when all of the marquee high-paid talent isn't just concentrated in New York and L.A. Um, not to say that Texas is small market team or anything like that, but just give us some new blood is good. They've got three mega contracts there. And I don't, I just teams that like the Semyon and Seeger deals, like those two guys weren't great in 2022 and you still have them forever. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it just falls back on like the most important thing in baseball is player development. And you have to have a rich pipeline of, of young talent coming up. And then you supplement them with some free agent signings, some big splashy moves. And that's how you build a really good team that can last. I just look at that team and I, I just wonder what the ceiling is. You know, I think the Astros are the Astros and they're going to be there. The Mariners are going to be really good, I think. The Angels, who knows? Yeah. Oakland is obviously rebuilding i just i don't know where the rangers fit into that yeah ecosystem and in my head they were terrible this year and they weren't that bad but i i didn't see them as a serious threat to anybody in, in the west even when they had a, a period where they were playing okay baseball so what they become i don't know but i'm with you i i'm i'm cool with a team that you don't normally hear although yeah. as as you were alluding to they just did this but a team that you don't normally hear linked to mega free agents, them signing them. Cool. Cool. And clear, clearly they're committing to winning whether or not it works. I don't know. 
You can cross Clayton Kershaw off your list, though. So if you had any dreams of Clayton Kershaw coming to Cleveland, not going to happen. One year, $20 million with a $5 million signing bonus. Going back to the Dodgers, who would have thunk it? I mean, it was it's going to be tough to see DeGrom in a Rangers uniform at first, but I still, can you imagine seeing Clayton Kershaw in anything other than Dodger blue? I don't think he can, and that's why he just continues to go back to L.A. You know what we never see? We never see, like, like picture Clayton Kershaw, just what's the most random, like, with the Tigers? <laughs> yeah, Tampa Bay. Uh, I don't know. It's Carl uh, Malone with the Lakers? Is that yeah. The, the NBA has, uh, I think they lead all sports in the random end of career one year with a team that you completely forgot about. Yeah, I mean, like Shaq with the Cavs? Yeah. Sort of like that. Didn't, where, didn't he go one other place after the Cavs? Well, he went. Suns. See, he went Orlando to LA to Miami to Phoenix, right? And then Cleveland and Boston. Did he go to Boston after? Yeah, Celtics. Thirty-seven games played in uh, twenty ten. Yeah, I have no no memory of that whatsoever. Not quite a Mandela effect, but something to that regard. As this is taking place just as the winter meetings are getting started, we've done this a few times, but we've picked up our show. We've picked up some listeners over the years. Clearly being totally facetious, we're we're just a bunch of idiots here. What happens in a, a, a typical day for a reporter at the winter meetings? Because it sounds glamorous until you actually get there and realize what actually takes place. But what, what does your day look like for the next several days? I'm not a fan of this week. Um, I like I like that there's stuff to write about. I find it fun, all the rumors and then stuff actually happening. Like we talked about baseball needs action. They need to seize the moment in the offseason at certain points. But it has become such a farce, such a spectacle of bullshit. I mean, it's... It's just a lot of people pretending they're important and that they're super busy and that they're just hot after all these scoops. And reality is there's just a lot of people milling around a big hotel lobby looking for someone to talk to. And then when they find someone, they're looking for the next person to talk to as that person <laughs> is talking to them. Um, no, I, I think like for me, it's like we have we have a bunch of company meetings here and our whole staff and all the editors are here. So there's a lot of like, we have like workshops and um, various things, but um, so those are just kind of interspersed with, you're just trying to talk to people and you know, it's, it's like, if there's a department in baseball that you can think of, like they're here clubhouse equipment managers. Um, I saw secure team security personnel like the the guardians like the the guy who protects them on the road basically um so everybody has just meetings with their departments from you know so like i think you get all the equipment managers in a room and you talk about 
any changes or what's going on the next season, stuff like that. Um, for reporters, you know, we have, we'll meet with Terry Francona on Tuesday. We'll have a lunch with him Wednesday. Um, we'll meet with Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff every day. Uh, we'll, you know, you're trying to just run into people that you know that you can, you know, this is where, like, I remember there was one year I was working on like the life of a scout and I was working, it was, it was like a, I don't know, many part series and scouts are here. Front office analysts are here, cross checkers and other, like any position, any position in front office you can think of, like they're here. So it was a great opportunity to talk to different people from different departments for that series. Um, so it's a lot of like, you know, you feel this, like I feel this internal pressure, like, oh, I need to be in the, the hotel lobby and just like scout out what's going on. And then I remember, well, I also cover the Guardians. So it's like, there's not, it's not like I'm going to run into Chris Antonetti and he's just going to be holding court for anyone who wants to talk <laughs> to him all day. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a lot of like, there's a lot of important stuff that happens here. And it's, you know, it's just like for your company's sake, like it's, it's, you know, there are other out like MLB.com has MLB.com stuff um, going on. So it's like, it's important in that regard, but like the, the main part of it is just kind of, I don't know. I think every year it becomes more and more of a headache and it's just kind of BS just like, like stuff's going to happen. And when it happens, it'll happen. Like if you, I don't think you're just going to like hide behind a plant <laughs> in a hotel ballroom. Well, hold on. And stumble hold on. upon. Tell me though, saying. first time going out there, didn't you have some aspirations that that was going to happen for you? Didn't that feel like that was the pressure when you went out there? Cause it was for me. I, was, I remember not knowing what to expect. And as you know, not many people travel, so it was Hoinsey and maybe Bastion and me, <laughs> the only people doing anything Guardians rela- or Indians related at the time. And so I didn't know what to expect. And it's, you, you walk around the lobby, you see everyone else doing stuff here. I should be doing something. Until you've been out there a few years and you realize, what is everybody doing in the lobby? I'll tell you what they're doing. Refreshing Twitter the same way they would have been if they were just sitting at home. They may be waiting on someone to come down out of the room to go talk, but sometimes you're just wasting time. You're you're playing around in settings in your phone that you haven't looked at since you opened that thing out of the iPhone box. That's what you're doing. You are trying to find anything that you can do, and in reality, you're there to talk to the GM usually every single day. You get one day with the manager, and all of the, especially the manager thing, it's your only chance to really talk to the manager up before you get to if your team does sort of whatever, the, what used to be Tribe Fest, Guardians Fest, this is the only time to talk to Tito since the season ended and that happening, so it's worthwhile. As you said, you might talk to a couple of people that in the end make this entire trip worth it, but in reality that occupies like two hours out of your day and the rest of it is maybe getting ahead on some writing, maybe, maybe chancing running into somebody but in reality you're just hoping you're just hoping that you're there for something to happen and if you're there to cover one of the big market teams though it unveils their big free agent like a judge signs there and 
they're going to have a press conference there. It's not going to be in New York. It's going to be there in person. So it's worthwhile to be there. So the entire meetings, you have to be there in case something happens. But in reality, 95% of the time, nothing happens. And then there are those small instances where nothing happens the entire trip until you're Zach getting on the plane and on the way home, you think you're there to unwind. Nope. You're there to break news from inside the plane. That's what happens. That's the winter meetings in reality. I was terrified it was going to happen Sunday night flying out here with Sean Murphy. Um, Yeah, I mean, well, like, that's the thing, too, is where do you want to be when news breaks, right? You want to be in front of your laptop. I think that's why everybody just sits in this big workroom and just pretends to work all day and pretends to be texting important sources all day, even though, like you said, they're just refreshing Twitter. Um, And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've just prioritized efficiency and working smart. And that's not to say not working hard, but like how beneficial is it to just sit in a workroom and stare at Twitter all day? It's, it's, it's not. Like it's so, um, I mean, I remember years ago, uh, there was a reporter who just so happened his hotel room was right next to the, the Indians front office suite. And so that reporter had a relationship with Paul Hoynes and just fed him everything he was hearing, uh, through the walls that week, I guess. So it's, you never know when stuff is going to happen. And you want to be on top of it. But a lot of this is just, you know, I'm passing the time. I'm looking at my watch to see how close it is till I can catch my flight home. And trying to, as best you can, make sure your employer doesn't figure it, all of this out. <laughs> <laughs> that a lot of it is just a farce. And it is important. You need to be there. If you're not there and something does happen, I mean, what the hell? What the hell? This is your only time during the offseason to get all of this information, so it's worthwhile. It's an investment for a reporter a lot of the time. Sometimes it's not even something that you write, but it's a conversation that began at the yeah. winter meetings. Uh, it's, a, it's a resource for so many different things. As you were saying with the scout store, you wouldn't got any chance to have everybody in one location. So you're there. You, you do these things, but it is just a lot of sitting around and trying to make something happen. And sometimes I mean, I, I, that, that means you have to write articles about nothing happening, but that, yeah. that's, that's the truth. It's a great place. I mean, the, the, the key to this job, the key to baseball is, is relationship building. And I think the best places to do that are here in spring training, honestly. I mean, I can't tell you how many contacts I've made from being here and you know, you talk to, you interview someone once in a setting like this, and like that's someone who you can refer to your whole career. Um, so there's value to it. It's just so much of the hoopla, and and it's 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 great for the league. Like they can stick an MLB Network desk in the middle of the lobby, and you know, all sorts of TV stations and radio stations are broadcasting from here, and that's that attention is phenomenal. It's December. It's it's. It's great that that exists. It's just, you know, I think, I think there are a lot of reporters who want to feel important and just, you know, they'll walk around as if they're, I don't know, they give off, everybody gives off a vibe of like, 
Sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm texting with a, a source. I am the king of that. Like, no. I am the king. <laughs> I, I know exactly how to look. Yeah, you have to make, you have to like kind of crumple up your face. You have to look intense in your doing nothing. And you have to look like you're in a hurry to go to the next place. But if anyone just watched you, you would look like a madman. <laughs> you would look <laughs> ins absolutely insane. How many times can I look up? Can I look back down? The refresh rate of Twitter in one location, this has to be up near the top of <laughs> any location. That's the real Twitter file I want to see. Release that. That's what I need. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be on top of it uh, the rest of this week. Of course, if something goes down, we'll do our best to provide some information on that and, of course, be locked in on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Podcast. So I, I did a little research. The thing I'm describing that's at the top of the foul pole at Petco Park outside my window, it's uh, Jack in the Box logo or mascot. And at the bottom of the foul pole on the wall, it says, Hungry for Homers. Good Lord. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, thank you for answering that. That is key information for Zach. Why? In San Diego, I'm TJ, live from my corner of the basement. Thanks for watching, everybody. Check us out on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. Till next week. Later.